Oh, welcome everyone, welcome. I'm just setting up so many things going on here. From our uh, podcast to my vlog. So we're recording and we're doing a podcast at the same time. So let me get some things set up here. Hold on one second. Awesome, that's, that's on. And let's get that going. This is beautiful. I got like 5 million things running here. This is great. Technology is awesome. So what we're trying to do today... Um, welcome. Welcome to Daily Dose Vlog. Welcome to Great Nature Talks. And just all out... Welcome. <laughs> so, what are we doing here? When it comes to spirituality, Buddhism... Um, there's a lot to talk about. And there's a lot to talk about because there's so much... Um, I hate to be so negative about it, but I'm going to be the one that burns the world down in terms of Buddhism and and the general concept of it. Basically, just the general concept of it. Um, why am I going at Buddhism, first of all? Because there is so much that people claim it is when it is not. There is so much use of this is this way in Buddhism and that is that way. There is so much expectation as to what should and shouldn't be a certain specific way with Buddhism. Um, there's religious Buddhism, there's philosophical Buddhism, there's methodological Buddhism. Which one is the real Buddhism? Um, the Buddha made it very clear what is real. Uh, so we're going to get to this in our talk and we're also going to talk about mantras, mudras, um, sitting postures like lotus, half lotus, uh, different, uh, another type of sitting posture, which is just like a generalized sitting posture. Um, the Buddhist statues, incense, uh, different types of tools, um, bells and beads. We're going to get to what these are, and we're going to go one at a time in them. So let's go to this concept of Buddhism and what people assume um, this should be. Hold on. <laughs> Dad, my... Uh, my espresso while I do this talk. This is a talk that I don't think people, I don't think people have very well. I don't think people choose to have because we're getting to, um, we're getting to a very, very important aspect here about facing what actually is the thing of that which the Buddha spoke, and either you'll believe it if it comes out of a monk's mouth. Or you won't believe it. Either you'll believe it if it comes out of someone who's taken an unbiased approach about cultivating it, or you won't. Um, that depends on your culture and what you choose to believe in. So we're going to leave it uh, from there at there, and we're going to go into a story about the Buddha, and it's going to be really short. Um, and it's not a direct quote. It's generally what has had hap what has happened uh, when the Buddha, or what did happen, sorry, when the Buddha um, attained enlightenment. Uh, it is spoken of um, in sutras when he would be speaking uh, that he awoken. He was not confused. He knew what the thing was, the world. He knew what unbiased truth is. Not absolute truth, unbiased truth. Because absolute truth is is different. Absolute truth is your conscious mind locking, designating, attaching, associating to a specific thing. Belief, action, outcome, whatever. And holding that belief to such a specific state. Um, 
so there's no absolution here. Unbiased means there was nothing that was attached to, uh, nothing that was developed of, in terms of seeing this overall state or way. Um, and basically, it is clear. That's what unbiased means. You're not putting in your own discriminating thinking towards what it is that you were observing. So therefore, the Buddha had, the Buddha had a state where there was no observer. There was this thusness, this neither here nor there, this unbiased state of, of the relative world interdependence. And out of the conscious relative world, nothing. A thusness, where it was neither this or that way. It's just really a state you must see, you know, if you must get to. If you intellectualize it, you intellectualize it and understand. But if you experience it, you'll sit there and really get it. And it takes practice to experience it. And that's first and foremost to actually realization of this state of unbiased thusness is straight up experience. Okay? Uh, and it is not difficult. It is not mysterious. Let's get this straight up right now. Anyone can do it. They need effort. They need to practice. It can happen at any point in their life. It is not mysterious. It is not spiritual. It is not separate. It is nothing more than that which is not confused. That's all. If you don't get it that way, go through the method of cultivation and you will experience it. It is just that way. It's, it's uh, You do the work, you get it. You don't do the work, you don't get it. Okay, so when the Buddha attained his... This, we'll say attainment, okay? Attain enlightenment. Um, became unconfused, okay? Uh, he's like, okay, I gotta go find somebody. So he sees the people who were studying with him before. And he's like, I gotta tell them first. And there was a whole story behind who he told first and why he did. But we'll save that, you know, segue. We're not gonna segue much. So we'll save that for later. So he goes and finds the people who were following him in that lifetime and... Um, tries to explain to them what the deal was and he went straight up with the method right in their faces and they're, if they were from Brooklyn they would have been like you're freaking crazy or insert expletive okay uh, but they basically turned around and said uh, you're nuts <laughs> like we don't believe you um, no uh, you're wrong we don't believe you because you were you went off the, the, the way and you were eating or you were drinking uh, your milk and, or you eating more food or whatever the hell it was, you know? And um, it was like, ah, oh, come on, guys. And they're all, no, you suck. So in that, they um, they left. And he's sitting there with his own mind. But he's sitting there going, shit, <laughs> what am I going to do? Uh, so it's stated that um, the demon Mara, the uh, we'll say demon, it's just an obstruction. So this obstruction in Buddha's mind is like, look, you can leave now and be done with everything because you attained it or you can wait because one day i'll get you like death and decay will happen to your physical body and you'll be fine like you're, you're gone like it's that's it it was like well you know what let me just uh probably talk to himself like i talk to myself who knows and uh says you know what if i can just turn one person if i can just help one person not be confused cheers I was, like, I was like, suit yourself, buddy. I'll get you one way or another. <laughs> and so the Buddha sets off on a path. Now, this is the beginning of why we have so many methods of Buddhism. Okay? This starts. So this is the marking point. 
the Buddha sets out on a path to figure how he's going to get people to understand what he's saying. So what does he do? He creates an expedient means. He creates a vehicle, a method. That's what it means. He, he creates a method which gets people to understand based on their mind. So at that moment, when someone comes to the Buddha and says, you're full of shit, he goes, hold on, buddy. Answer this. Riddle me this. Right? He's like, riddle me this, Batman. <laughs> and he, he gives one statement, and they get dumbfounded. They get stuck, and they say, okay, teach me. You know, like, that's wild. I would never guess it. And then, hence, you have a dialogue. So the Buddha creates an expedient means by seeing the people at their state when they meet him. The questions they ask, what they're wearing, what their posture is, if they're sick, if they're standing upright, if they're sitting well, if they're coughing, if they're talking with a slur, if they can understand certain types of explanations. He creates various ways to get them to understand, to boost up the capacity of their understanding. Hence, you have um, spiritual practice sect. He didn't create sects. These were all just methods first. So I'm not going to get into the sects yet. Let's not get into those different schools of Buddhism. Let's just talk about methodology. Because I want to talk about the core. So his methodology is this. The people don't get it one way. They're going to get it another way. And if they don't get it that way, I'll have 5 million or 84,000, which means an innumerable... Innumerable? Innumerable? Yeah, I guess. I haven't used that word in ages. Holy crap. All right. Well, anyway, he'll have a numerous amount <laughs> of methods to reach people. Then he'll go into mantra, go into dialogue, go into meditation methods, go into mudras, go into postures, like body postures, standing, sitting, lying, and walking. Okay? And go into psychology. Like, Buddha was a major life coach. If life coaching was then, he was a life coach. And most spiritual teachers are life coaches. Spiritual in quotes, okay? You have me and my fingers run up in quotations, okay? Um, so, he had spiritual or, or anyone being a guide to someone was seen as like, well, nowadays would be a coach, a mentor. But Buddha's also a great marketer, <laughs> if you looked at it this way. Also, is that he wanted people to take his product. His product was enlightenment. Everyone has the capabilities of retaining the state of non-confusion. How do I get them to believe me? Uh, instead of believing me, how do I get them to exercise the method? Because when you exercise the method, that's where the result is. It has nothing to do with the person. The Buddha could be a total jerk-off, but his method was tried and true. And that leaves success for the person who cultivated the Buddha's method. Okay? So, when the Buddha turns around and he says, um, There is a, a Buddha, 108 million... Um, uh, what's the word in the sutras? Oh man, 108 million asamkeya kalpas or something like that. Which is saying a freaking long, long ways away. Called Amitabha Buddha. And if you recite his name um, up till seven times or as many times as it takes you to become single-mindedly focused on his name, then he will come when you're dead, physically die, and help your mind be re or be reborn or reincarnated into his Buddha land where 
all there is is cultivation. There is no suffering, there's no this, there's no that, blah, blah, blah. But you cannot get there unless you cultivate. And in order to cultivate, you have to recite his name. He made 48 vows. 48 vows. 48 vows. Um, and number 18 was you recite his name and he'll come and get you. And he says to everyone, you know, that's the easiest method, but you won't believe it. No one will believe it because it's the easiest freaking method. And they're like, what do you mean we won't believe it? Because it's too hard. But you just said it was easy. He's like, no, it's so easy that people won't believe it. Hence, it is really difficult to attain it. And they're like, mind blown. Um, what the hell are you talking about, Buddha? Uh, explain to us this magical place. He goes, well, here you go. So think of it this way. Okay, now it's me talking, not, not me telling the story about the Buddha uh, explaining a sutra or explaining this state. Uh, so, see, when, when people can't get something, you create a way in which allows them to understand. What the Buddha is saying when he talks about the Amitabha Sutra is he's telling his disciples and the people who are choosing to follow him, hey, I got a method, but if I don't tell you, you'll never get it. And it's hard to come by, so let me just tell you because if I don't, you can miss up a good opportunity. And the reason why there's so many methods the Buddha have brought up is because people were confused. They didn't get the method offhand. When the Buddha says, everything comes from the mind alone, that should go, everything comes from the mind alone. Like, I get chills when I just say that, okay? <laughs> Sorry, I do. And I just shook. If you don't, if you're on my podcast, <laughs> I just shook. But anyway, um, I, get, I get chills because that puts power right in our hands. Everything comes from the mind alone. And you'll think, oh, everything's just imagination, right? So I just think it and it'll appear. No, it is not like that. There is nothing that will make anything happen just because you think it in one second magically manifests in front of you physically. BS to the max doesn't happen okay back to the point everything comes from the mind alone they didn't get it he's like all right let me figure out another method hey if you put your mind on one specific buddha and that buddha's name amitabha means limitless light and limitless life you have amitabha you have amitayus same man two different names meaning limitless life and limitless light well then you know um if that's all you're focusing on your mind will be so clear and pure because you won't have the time to focus on anything else. But if you single-mindedly focus on this, the Buddha will appear and the Buddha looks like this and he has this life and he has this world and he has these followers and he has these disciples and it's beautiful this and beautiful that. You know what the Buddha is doing? The Buddha is leaving a method for people to not focus on things that drive them nuts every day because they cannot untie the craziness of their mind. So why not take that potential energy and put it into one place? So you put it into one place. Let's focus on one thing that'll guarantee uh, a beautiful life, a beautiful rebirth. And you know what? Probably I won't be pissed off during the day since I'm putting all my focus on something different. That's what happens. So you focus on Amitabha Buddha. You focus on an image of what he is. He's using visualization method. Then he's using recitation method. So you have thinking method. Right? Visualization, you have to think it. Then you have recitation method, you have to verbalize it. So that's mouth, verbalization, but that's sound method. Okay? Then you have the hearing method, because you hear your own sound. So now you have visualization method, thinking. Then you have speaking method, verbalization, sound. Now you have the hearing method, to hear what it is you're saying. Your three aspects 
three of your senses, your thinking, your, um, your verbalization, your speaking, and your hearing are being cultivated on one single thing. Three of your senses. That leaves the three more. <laughs> that leaves three more. So what do you have? Eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, and mind. Eyes? Where are we looking when we're doing these three methods? Right? What is the, what, what's going on? Our eyes are closed. We, our eyes aren't focused on the outside world. We're looking inward. The concept is to go inward. So now we have our eyes. Our thinking, our eyes, our tongue, okay, our mouth is being utilized and our hearing is being utilized. What else? Eyes, ears, nose, nose. What are we smelling? We're not. It's not the method of smelling. It's the method of controlling our breathing. Since we have to verbalize what we're saying, we have to watch our breath. How fast are we inhaling? How fast are we exhaling? I want to recite Amitabha Buddha, right? Namo Amitabha Buddha. So I'm going to excel, uh, exhale nice and slow. I'm going to inhale nice and slow in through the nose, out through the mouth, because I have to recite, right? So it's out through the mouth. Hence, now I'm using the nose. That's five. Eyes, ears, nose. Tongue, speaking, right? Body, body. Well, we have mind, right? So the mind is six. Body, the body. What is the body doing? Shit, the body could be standing. The body could be sitting, lying, or even walking. Walking in circle, walking around the corner, walking to the store to buy some ice cream. <laughs> okay. Like the body is occupied in one single aspect that unifies with all the other senses. So now you have a six sense method. Do you get that? The Buddha is literally saying this method will take control of all your senses where you don't have the, you don't have the time to put your mind in other things because all six senses are focused. What does that say? doesn't mean the Amitabha Buddha is going to come and pull you out your body and take you to this pure land. No. That is a way of getting the people to cultivate. The, the expedient means is that they're going to go to a better place than where they are now. In between the cultivating and getting to what the Buddha says, they're actually going to attain an enlightenment because they're not wasting their time focusing on so much other shit. Do you see what the expedient mean does? So then people end up forgetting the, the actual reason for the expedient means and just work on the, the crutch, which is the expedient. The method of being reborn in the Buddha's land and worrying about which grade of lotus they're going to grow in when they're born in the Buddha's land. Like, this is the point where we get into how people steered away from the Buddha's methodology. And it goes towards where we're at today. Um, so what we're doing right now, um, you're looking at this. The Buddha had a method. And this is one of the many methods he talked about, the Amitabha Buddha recitation method, okay? So now you got that. You have this one method. People decided to make a Pure Land school. They decided that Pure Land school is a tried and true way of attaining enlightenment. But you can't attain enlightenment in your body here because the world is too tough. You're going to look to be reborn into a Buddha's Pure Land of ultimate bliss. They screwed up. Why? Because you don't have to wait some uncertainty that you're going to be out in some Buddha pure land. You don't know. You don't know unless you know, unless you're totally enlightened, then you don't need to go to a freaking Buddha pure land. But where is the Buddha pure land, really? It's not a heaven, and it's not an interstitial place, you know, like some, some 
purgatory-like state where you're just, you're just doing stuff in there and that's it, and then you wait till you get enlightened, then you boom, you, you go to some other place. Not some in-between place, okay? It's not the in-between. <laughs> um, the Buddha pure land is the pure mind. Plain and simple. When the mind is pure, the land is pure. And that basically means don't dilly-dally, don't put your mind on bullshit that takes your energy away, makes you unhealthy, makes you feel like you are not in control of your senses and that the you actually exists in terms of something separate from the rest of everything else. Um, if you can stop yourself from seeing those things or being those ways and grow and cultivate away from that or through it so you can become awakened from that so the turbidity becomes your fuel for enlightenment, the mind is pure. <laughs> Do you see how intricate this is? This is not some meme that you're going to get uh, the Buddha says, live a happy life and be happy. Where did the Buddha ever say that? Half these memes out there about the Buddha saying this and that is not true. Show me what sutra. Show me a sutra that has the Buddha saying, um, what, do unto others as if you want done unto you? Or, uh, I don't know, I forget. There's so many memes out there, you know? It's kind of ridiculous and it drives me nuts because it just puts in the poison taking away from what Buddhism really is. And you know what? I have the audacity to tell you what Buddhism really is. I do, because it's not religion. Take the ism out and throw the ism right out. Okay? Take the Buddha. The Buddha means awaken. And what awaken means is non-confused. That's what it means. You'll have 5 billion or 84 million methods out there to help you not be confused. Not one of them is the sole great way. The core method is to not be confused. The core method, truthfully, everything comes from the mind alone. We make shit happen. And don't think, oh, I make shit happen, so I'm going to make a million dollars appear. No, <laughs> that's ignorant thinking. It's stupid to assume that. Um, you need components to make things work. And what are the components? Hard friggin' work. That's the component for actual financial success. Now, don't think that we're going to go into the next thing that you have a picture of a Buddha and you are spiritual. Bullshit. Don't think that you have beads, you know, like uh, prayer beads, whatever they call them now, mala beads, that you are spiritual. Don't think that you wear special clothing, like Tibetan clothing or ancient Chinese clothing or Indian, ancient Indian clothing or whatever that makes you great, special or knowledgeable or even an authority. It does not. None of the things that have become a commercial idea, none of the things that have become standard idea of what it is to be a Buddha or Buddhist is actually a Buddhist or Buddha. If anything, but you have the people never even read a Buddhist sutra. The reason why I say that is because then you'll really see what's going on in there. But the Buddhist sutra is also very confusing. That's why you have commentary. Then the commentary can be, well, that's just this teacher's. What about the other teachers? That's why there's a study called the Tripitaka, which basically goes into uh, sutras, um, vows, and commentary of the sutras, like, uh, and commentary of the vows. Like, it goes into a whole entire thing, and it's really intense. Now, do you think you need to do that to become a Buddha? No, you don't. You read the Diamond Sutra. And it tells you straight up, hey, 
does a Buddha have 32 marks? Is that how you're going to tell if the Buddha is a Buddha, if a person is a Buddha? Yes, that's what the Buddha said. 32 marks means a Buddha. No, you're wrong. Those are just saying so as a marker, but truthfully, there is no marker for a Buddha because the Buddha does not bear marks. And they're like, well, okay, that's wild. What else is there? So you didn't get it? Shit, now I gotta do another one. That's why you have a discourse, because someone says one thing and doesn't get what you're trying to say, so you try another way of explaining it. It's like life is like a bubble, a dream. It passes by like a cloud in the sky. Poetic, I know. <laughs> These are things we must understand. Buddha means to be awakened. Awakened means to not be confused. What are we not confused about? Good question. We are not confused about the thus nature. The hell does that mean? We're not confused about our original nature. The hell does that mean? We're not confused whether or not we are actually a spirit, just a figment of our own imagination, separate or connected to everything. Are you gonna tell me we're all connected? Who's connected? You say, oh, well, you're just playing with words. You know what I mean? No, I don't know what you mean, really. Like when someone says, yeah, we're all connected. I'm like, great, where? <laughs> where are we connected? We connected from nipple tassels? <laughs> I'm just being a jerk, but really, yeah, we're all connected. But there's no we that are all connected. There is no individual thing that is individually connected to all other individuals. I don't want to give away the, 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 the meat and potatoes here, but do you see? If you don't get what I just said, then we have a discourse. We have a dialogue. And hence, when people didn't get what the Buddha said, when people didn't get what other enlightened teachers said, they had discourses. When you don't get what your best friend tells you about something, be it marketing, or be it about a movie, or be it about a joke, and you just, I don't get the joke. What do they do? They have an explanation. That's what a discourse is. Okay? So, that concludes one aspect about a major problem we have with the Buddhist teachings in the world today. People have added their own concepts to Buddha's teachings and created schools and religions based on his teachings, which they have created a whole entire monster of teachings, um, which that if you don't follow, you're not really following Buddhism, which is also bullshit. Okay. So we go into mudras. Why do we have mudras when we're sitting in meditation? The mudras are there because... They help us stay awake. <laughs> Your mind is easy to just shut down uh, when you're sitting in one posture for a long period of time, concentrating on something, you start nodding off. Your body starts going into a sleep mode. Your brain, you know, cuts off and you go, start knocking over. The mudras help you stay attentive. It's um, physically getting involved and applying mental application, okay? Yes, mudras are special keys to the universe. Yeah, sure, whatever, whatever you want to believe. Um, they, it's better that you see them as a tool to not let you fall asleep. Because if you think it any other way, you don't get your wish, or you don't get what you put your intent to, you'll be pretty pissed off, and that's where confusion comes in. The actual application of some thought into something or some action that you assume or someone tells you as, uh, this thing will get you A, B, and C. Don't believe that shit. Don't believe it. You do a mudra and you're going to save the world. You're going to do a mudra and you control the rain. Like, can that happen? Sure. Is it duplicatable? No. Not for everybody. The reason? Is it really the mantra? When you, or the mudra? When you apply your mind to the mudra, holding the posture, whatever it is, okay? 
yeah, you're connecting your fingers together, you're holding into a specific posture. You're going to tell me that there's some magical energy that passes through everything? No, I don't believe in magical energy. I believe in bioenergy. I believe in energy. The whole substance of all things that run all things in this whole entire universe and all the universes. That's the thing that keeps us all connected. Void of a, of a view. Void of a consciousness. When everyone's going, oh, my higher self, my conscious self. Conscious self? The conscious self is your ego. Your ego telling you this and that and blah, blah, blah. And all the constant, constant dialogue in your, inside your head. When someone says you're conscious, means you're awake. When you're awake, what does that mean? You can discriminate. I don't want to have that. I'll use it as a tool because now I have my fingers on the, on the, as a puppeteer, you know, I have them on the strings. I'm pulling the strings. The I, in quotes, is pulling the strings, not the other way around. Okay? It's not the strings going all over the place. So be conscious, but at the same time, be in control. Be clear. Don't let the conscious mind run all over the place. That's why you have cultivation. And people have this ill concept about control too, okay? That's why you sit in meditation, that's why you have a mudra, that's why you do mantras, that's why you have beads, that's why you have all these other things in there. Now, let's go further. You have your mudras, they keep you from falling asleep. They have a specific nothing to it. Someone had figured out a hand posture, the shape was re resonated with other shape, or was just a... They put their mind and then created a thought. They had a thought about a shape. And then they held their hands in that shape and associated the thought they had about that shape onto the shape their hands made. Made a sound with it and kept practicing it and felt friggin' awesome. Then they pass it to the next person. And that person passed it to the next person. So on and so forth. So now you have a method that says if you hold this mudra, you're going to have a great digestion. Or if you hold that mudra, you're going to have a great dream. Like, okay. And then we think those are spiritual powers. Actually, no. It's suggestive power. Someone told you what it will do, and boom, it had done the thing. When I teach a mudra, I don't tell anybody what the hell it does. Whatever they experience from it, that's what it does. I don't like to give people suggestion. Uh, next, mantra. Why do we have mantra? Everyone wants to say mantras are prayers. They're not prayers. They're not affirmations. They're not affirming shit with a mantra. You're giving a command with a mantra. You're not asking for anything. You're giving a command. So when we have a mantra, we're stating a specific thing. And that, in and of itself, is the strongest affirmation you can have. But it is not an affirmation. If an affirmation is total 100% belief in something that you're going to do, this is not it. But it is the pinnacle or the epip epitome of an affirmation. But it is not affirming shit. What a, what a mantra is doing is stating a fact. And you are unmoved. You are stubborn as hell in holding that fact. So if you hold a mantra for like... Um, uh, no tooth pain. Right? In the Sharangama mantra, 5th Assembly, there's a, a sentence in there, a phrase in, phrases in there that go for eradicating tooth pain. Hey, I'm not going to tell you what it is. Go read the sutra and go read the Sharangama Sutra and Sharangama Mantra and do the research like I did. That's all. I'm not going to give you the uh, suggestion, a suggestive you know, seed in your mind. 
but there's a mantra in there that you, know, you recite it, recite it, single-minded concentration, boom, the, the command is to relieve yourself of tooth pain. Does it cure yourself of tooth pain? No, it just relieves you of tooth pain. Because if your tooth is like bulging out of your face and you recite the mantra, it's not going to magically remove the tooth out of your face. But, okay, and I'm not being ridiculous, I'm being straight up. People really go as far as that. They believe that spiritual powers is something outside of them when it's all of the mind. Therefore, it's no longer spiritual power. It's strictly the ability of concentrated focus of your mind. Skill in means. You have a skill. You know how to utilize it. You can duplicate it. Simple. That's what mantras do. They command. They make things happen. With enough effort, things can happen over time. Don't expect it to just manifest out of the blue. That shit ain't happening. Um, postures. We sit in lotus posture, one, because it helps stretch up the hips. Um, it helps uh, keep us awake. Yeah? When you're sitting in meditation, you want to slouch over, the, the cross-leg posture hurts as hell when you start learning it. Some people can fall into it easy, some people can't. It's that flexible. Some people don't realize that they're flexible, but they just have flexible hip flexors um, and flexible um, groin and, and IT band, whatever. And they can get into this stretch and lower muscle, lower back muscles. So the lotus posture is said, said, it's said that the lotus posture, which your feet are crossed over each other, um, is what the Buddha's all attained Buddha's, uh, um, all attained enlighten, enlightenment with uh, ages and ages and ages ago. Every Buddha has attained, or anyone who has attained enlightenment, um, sat, in, sat in the lotus posture. Don't get too fixed on that, too. Um, you can get enlightenment on the toilet bowl. You can get alignment taking a shower, you can choke on your, your coffee or, or spit out milk from your nostrils and attain enlightenment. Um, a brick could fall from the sky and just miss you and nick your ear and all of a sudden you freak out, jump, jolt, you look and it hits you and you become awake. Like, it's really just like that. It's literally like a flip of a switch like this, okay? So don't get too fixated on postures. You have full, po full lotus, you have half lotus. And you have varying sitting postures, different ways to alleviate pain in the body so you can maintain focus on what it is your method is. Excuse me. Um, that's how you build up single-minded concentration in that application of the mind. That's where you have de-stressing. Okay. So let's get into incense. Why the hell do we burn incense for? We burn incense because the if it's a natural incense, it creates a reaction in the mind, in the brain, and helps relief release chemicals that help to de-stress your body and help to uh, allow you to focus better um, so if you feel stressed out and shit and you smell some really cool incense not the dollar store incense that smells like plastic and burns the shit out of your house and leaves these marks all over your all over your um, ceiling it's um it's handmade or natural uh no chemical no perfume like incense Anyway, you use the incense because you in, you inhale and the incense penetrates your nasal cavity and helps relieve chemicals, excuse me, uh, helps relieve chemicals. So the incense, let me repeat this again. So the, in, again, I'm getting some dis interruptions here and there. So the incense, we use it because it releases chemicals helps the body release chemicals, the brain release chemicals, and those chemicals help to relax the body and allow us to apply our mental focus better. So if you are emotionally upset and you smell some nice smelling incense that connects with you or that connects with you in the way that makes you feel relaxed, then you won't think 
like you want to rip someone's head off. Uh, therefore, you can apply your mind into a better state of being emotionally. And this is what we do when we have incense around us when we're meditating. Um, if you light up incense because you're going to bow at the Buddha's statue and put incense there like they're sitting around waiting for you to light up incense and then they're going to give you whatever, they, whatever you ask for, uh, you're fooling yourself. Let me take a quick moment here. What's up, buddy? What do you want? Quickly, please. We're recording. What do you need? Speak louder. I want a spoon and a bowl. I don't have a spoon. I don't have a bowl. <laughs> so, if you're lighting up incense and you're putting it up into statues hoping for a million dollars, you're going to be hoping for the rest of your life. Um, the Buddhas don't sit around and grant wishes. They don't give a shit. Like, they're not these pseudo gods that people have created by stating, oh, if you believe in me, I'll give you what you want. Like, it's all crap. Shit don't happen. So the Buddha doesn't give a shit if you're, like, the nicest person or you're the worst person. Are you applying methods to attain enlightenment or not? It's really simple. That's the unbiasedness of the universe right there. So... <laughs> so our, um... <laughs> got little interruptions here. It's so funny. Uh, so, incense is just a way to help calm the body so you can apply yourself right. It doesn't matter what you do with that incense outside of just inhaling it. Okay? Uh, statues. The Buddha hated statues. He did not want to be worshipped as an idol. He did not want to be worshipped as a god. He's like, none of this shit exists anyway, but don't make me an image. Somebody made an image of the Buddha. A story goes, he says, look, Buddha, what can I made an image of the Buddha. He's like, that's not the Buddha. Says, yes, it is. It looks just like you. He goes, who said my, the Buddha looks like me? That's bullshit. Or in another way, he was like, that's crap. Break it. I just spent six months. Good for you. You just wasted six months of your life. No, break it. Don't let people assume this is what a Buddha looks like. So all these Buddha statues actually are a whole crock of shit. They are actually, what they are, the method between a Buddha statue the method, sorry, the method of a Buddhist statue in general is a tool to harness characteristics of what you see. Someone sitting upright, someone noble enough. Noble not in blood, like, you know, your king and queen nobility. Noble in character. Okay, like, you're not an asshole, okay? But a Buddha could be a jerk, too, sometimes. Um, you're upright. You are holding up proper character, okay? Um... Your mind is in the right space in terms of where you're not confused, okay? And the image of a Buddha where it can be a characteristic of compassion, could be a characteristic of patience, could be a characteristic of study, could be a characteristic of awareness, could be a characteristic of um, chasing down or breaking or destroying uh, afflictions in the mind, okay? So you have all these different characteristics. And these characteristics are culture-based. When the Buddha's teachings had went to various regions of India and uh, China, Korea, Japan, Southeast Asia, and wherever else in the world, it takes on the culture of that land and no longer is its original thing. It became the culture of that land. So in that, if the Buddha's original method was, dude, Wake up. Everything's from the mind alone, man. You do that shit. You made your own suffering, and this is how you get out of it. Everything's out of the mind. None of this shit is real. This is why. Boom. It comes into, you tell it to some other country or some other region, and people are like, yeah, well, who cares? 
like, but this can really help you. I know it can help you, all right. All right, so now you figure out, okay, um, let me put on their clothes. Um, let me get involved in society. Let me learn the culture, the language. Okay, everyone. So not only is everything of the mind alone, but you know what? What you think actually becomes how you feel. And what you feel really empowers how you're thinking. These things are intertwined. Isn't that true? What do you think about that? Well, yeah, you know, when I feel like shit, I start thinking like crap. And, you know, I start eating like crap. And I start treating people like crap. Yeah, you got a point there, buddy. So what do I do with that? Well, you just slowly chip away by changing your thought. Changing your perspective. Putting in a different thought. Planting the seed of putting a thought here. Uh, that sounds all right. I don't have to... It's not too much effort. I don't feel too much stress. All right, I'll start working on myself. See, there you go. Now it takes on cultural characteristics. Oh, it appears in what way? Well, this person told me I should do it this way, and he was wearing these awesome clothes. Those are the clothes from our culture. He's really knowledgeable of our culture. That's right. Oh, we should we should um, have him over for dinner and have and talk to him so he comes over, eats our food, right? Right. So monks who were offered food and offered this and that for the teachings became accustomed to different excuse me <laughs> a different region and their customs and their food and their daily habits and they've taken on the teachings have taken on like clothing a naked body has taken on the clothing of the region they live in hence it is no longer that straight up method it is like running around the corner five million times digging a hole showing up on the other side of the street and then walking across the street to get back home again method <laughs> okay but people have become so attached to the method in so doing they forgot and they created an attachments afflictions based on their cultural dogma so why do we have different tools now now we're going to go into tools we have different tools like um the vajra and the vajra pestle um these things are like um what you should emulate in mind. Like these are indestructible things. These are concept, is it, to be indestructible, unmoved in your mind. Like your emotions aren't gonna take your, your mind all over the place. Memory is not gonna take your mind all over the place. Like you're not gonna be taken by the sounds that happen behind you while you're sitting in meditation practice. Or even just doing anything you want. Remember, meditation practice. That's a key word. But I'll get to that in a moment. So you have these different tools, like the Vajra. A bell, okay? Why do we need the bell for? Why do we ring the bell? You have a bell because the bell, that sharp sound, can penetrate the hearing. And if you can awaken all of a sudden by that sound, holy crap, that's awesome. So you ring the bell once. You don't have to keep ringing that shit. Some people do with gongs and they just keep banging gongs like that's supposed to mean something. It doesn't mean anything. So you have ringing the bell while in meditation ringing it to get the person out of the state of meditation hopefully they can wake out of it or they can get out of it if they were in it and um with that they they might awaken they might not awaken but they got out of the state of meditation anyway so we have the bell to awaken us or to tell us it's time to designate a specific action that's all. It has nothing to do with spirits. It has nothing to do with spirituality. It has everything to do with getting us out of our state of meditation so we can go do shit. Why do we have beads? Beads are there so we don't fall asleep when we're reciting. 
they're there to keep our minds occupied so we don't get bored, yawn all over the place, and look like we're exhausted freaking Garfield cat all over. <laughs> you know what I mean? Beads don't make you spiritual. There's nothing that makes anybody anything else. So spiritual, this concept of being spiritual is fallacy. It's, it's just, it's stupid. It doesn't even exist. It's not real. And I'm going to say it again. This idea of spiritual being all this great compassion, blah, 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 all one with the world. Yeah, bullshit. Because a person who, quote, unquote, in quotes, does black magic, um, they are very much in tune with the natural energy, quote, unquote, natural energies and uh, spirits and whatnot. And command spirits to do A, B, and C and use intent practices to control the people's mind. That's not spiritual. What's the difference between someone who does it that way and someone who does quote-unquote white magic where they use their mind to in, inten, uh, intentionally um, influence other people to do things that are good for them? Same thing. Perspective is the key. So you see, the idea of spiritual is just a, a good commercial thing. Actually, the term was good maybe like, I don't know, a thousand years ago. Maybe if it even existed a thousand years ago. But at some point in the last hundred years or so, it became a fad. It became bastardized. So I, I don't even like using that word spiritual. But regardless, um, beads are only there to help you count. They're symbolic to cultural application in Buddhism. 108, 108 million miles uh, to Amitabha Buddha's Pure Land. Uh, 10,800 uh, years a uh, different cycle of consciousness and you I mean like when we say different cycle of consciousness it just means that the mass amount of people on this planet think something different and that influence is major and massive and makes big changes big deal big deal um, so beads are there so we don't fall asleep they're there so we can count our recitations how many did we do today and um, repetition itself keeps the mind focused so if you keep trying to count one Amitabha, two Amitabha, three Amitabha, it kind of gets ridiculous. So you just use a, a bead and every 27 beads start a new section, right? On the, on the, um, look at my beads. Anyway, that's what it is. So beads are there just so you don't fall asleep. Now you may think, oh, this is very pessimistic of you. It's very cynical, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know what? Good. Like, who cares? There's too much color and there's too much fantasy in something that was devoid purposely of those things. So people can get so people get right to the point of breaking through their mind. If anything, read the Diamond Sutra, read Huineng, H-U-I-N-E-N-G, um, Diamond Platform Sutra, and you will see what I mean. Read the Sharangama Sutra, and you will see what I mean. Straight to the point. The Buddha was not all about his flair and... Oh. Before I forget, before I end this, it's only going to take three minutes. The Buddha... And this is the thing. People nowadays assume you're Buddhist, you're socialist. You're Buddhist, you're like... You're a liberal. It has nothing to do with politics. It has nothing to do with the concept of liberalism or socialism has nothing to do with that like spiritual the quote-unquote spirituality if it turns out to be where people making it more of what i see it now liberal and socialist it's ridiculous it's neither 
okay? It is not socialist. So stop. You know, people are like, oh, you're Buddhist, so you must like, um, uh, everyone, you know, the government should take care of you, and everyone's light and love, and happy, happy, and everyone should have exactly what you have. Nope. Nope. If you have the conditions to have the things I have, good. Good luck, and great. Good for you. If you don't, oh well, you don't know how to use freaking, you know how to use your mind. You don't know how to learn about business. You don't know how to learn about marketing. You don't know how to learn about making yourself have a skill. Like, worried about all these, oh, I can't do it because this is happening or that's happening. Great. There's people in your position who've done it better. Like, I'm going to give a big props out to Gary Vaynerchuk on this one. I'm a nobody in terms of social media influencers or anything like that. But for years, years, I've been doing this since I'm eight years old. For years, I've seen people fall into the... Oh, you know, like, I'll believe in this so I can have A, B, and C, or I can't do it this way because I don't have such and such wealth, or they have it better than me, or this person's rich so they can do whatever they want. All excuses. I've seen it. I was influenced by it as a young kid and teen growing up in this type of thing, which poisoned my mind. And then when I stopped believing in excuses and started really breaking down my own specific stories and personal beliefs it was those it were those excuses that were holding us down i broke out of that and tried to build skill that's applicable to people and myself that's how i started to get better so gary vaynerchuk good shit um i think it's about time people heard it from someone who's already financially out there because if people don't realize they have to stop with their own drama, if they don't realize this, they will never get anywhere. So thank you for that. Um, and in comparison, this is what I've been trying to say for many years, and people thought I was nuts. Uh, this is what the Buddha is saying. Everything comes from the mind alone. It means you're the only one responsible for the shit that you do. So stop doing that. See your patterns. This is karma. Your pattern. What you do and what you keep doing keeps getting you what you've always gotten. Like, it's ABC. So simple stuff. Nothing major. Out of the world. Fantasy unicorns flying everywhere and ice cream poop all over the place. Though... Squatty potty is pretty awesome. <laughs> okay? It is not like this. It is really simple. And I just wish we can get to that. So, we're done. Like, that's our podcast, everyone. Um, that's our vlog. And peace. Any questions, you can feel free to email me. Info at greatnaturepath.com And, uh... Yeah, that's it. Okay, be well.